You know, parents tend to worry about a lot of things, and for good reason, especially, apparently, the Divjacks. <laughs> Sorry, that, that just worked out too well, too well. Uh, but we do, we worry about our kids, and the biggest concern for most parents is probably who will take care of my kids if something happens to me. You know, that's certainly the most troubling aspect of writing a will when you have small children. Merlin and I struggled and struggled. I don't know if we ever really resolved that because uh, you don't know what to do. And uh, who will I leave my children to in the event of my death? It's a big question. Of course, then you also have to ask who will take them. Uh, but <laughs> that's another issue. <laughs> And then some try to avoid the matter by simply reducing the risk of dying and, you know, give up riding a motorcycle uh, for a time or flying. I remember my dad always talked of a desire to ride in a glider plane. And one day my brother and sister and I had uh, uh, saved up our money. We were going to make it happen. We talked him into uh, taking us over to the airport, and when we got there, we told him we had a surprise for him. We had a ticket for him to ride on a glider plane. He refused to go. Refused to go. And, and he said something about parental responsibilities. Well, I didn't really understand that until many years later when I was unexpectedly given a chance to fulfill a much verbalized dream of uh, skydiving. Uh, you know, with two small children by my side, I too, mumbled something about parental responsibilities. Now, I'm not sure that that was the reason I refused to go, but uh, I like to think it was because I didn't want to unnecessarily risk leaving my kids without a dad. And that is a big concern for parents. What's going to happen to my kids when I'm gone? Well, the Apostle Paul had the same concern about his spiritual children, especially the Ephesians. He had spent three years with them. They'd been a part of his, his life. And then he'd been gone for a year, and, and he was now back, saying goodbye to at least the elders from that church family. He thought he would never see them again. And then after reminding them of the tears that he had shed over them, he had these words. He said, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now the word commend that is used here confuses us a bit. We generally think of it in the sense of giving someone a commendation, of recommending them, and it can mean that. But a secondary definition is to put in the care of another, to commit with confidence, to entrust. In fact, the Greek that's used here literally means to place beside or before. 
So Paul was confidently entrusting his spiritual children to someone else since he could no longer be there. So to whom did he entrust them? Well, of course, he entrusted them to God. He says, and now I commend you to God. You know, Paul commended them to God, and that's obviously a good idea. But why hadn't he done it earlier? He could have saved himself a lot of grief, a lot of tears, if he had just entrusted them to God years earlier. Well, no doubt he did entrust them to God to a degree. But you know, we can't just dump our responsibilities on God. We have a responsibility to care for our own as long as we can. If we don't, Paul says in 1 Timothy that we are worse than infidels. We are worse than unbelievers if we don't care for our own. That's why Paul had to admonish the Ephesians with tears night and day for three years. He had been given the responsibility of caring for his spiritual offspring, and he met that responsibility. And even when he knew he was leaving, he'd made provision for them by charging the elders with the responsibility of shepherding the flock, something he had done when he was there. We also should make every attempt to provide for our loved ones in our absence. And that's why we buy life insurance and why we designate guardians for our children. We do everything we can to care for those we love. We try to cover as many bases as possible, but ultimately we do have to entrust them to God himself. There are circumstances over which he is the only one who has control, and so we entrust our loved ones to him. Now, that became very clear to me 30-some years ago when Nikki first boarded a school bus. I uh, wrote about it in my little rapping column at the time. I said, well, Lord, she entered a new world today. She didn't even wave once she got on the bus. At least I couldn't see if she did. Her world, at least in the mornings, will now be dominated by kids I don't know and a teacher I just met. Please, Lord, watch over her. Let her never forget how much mom and dad love her and that you are always with her. She's quite a little lady and she knows you well. But, Lord, she's only five years old. Don't let her out of the palm of your hand. We'll let her go, Lord, because we have to. But please, don't you let her go. Be there for the hurts and disappointments. Be there when she needs help deciding which way to go. Be there when she gets lonely. Be there when we can't. We've all experienced that, have we not? That, that feeling when our kids are stepping out from under the umbrella of our immediate protection And the only one we can give them to is God. It's comforting to know that if we commit someone to God, he will watch over them. And it's also comforting to know that he'll watch over them even if we forget 
to ask him to do so. You know, there was a time when that became clear to me, too, while raising our kids. And this time it was with Matt. He was a new driver. And uh, one day I panicked because I realized I hadn't prayed for him before he left in the car. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. God loves him even more than I do. And I breathe a sigh of relief. It's awesome to know we have a God to whom we can entrust our children. And God is willing, willing to have persons committed to his care. And we know that he takes that which is committed to him because while on the cross, Jesus was able to commit his spirit into his father's hands. And the word translated committed there is the same word we have here. Jesus commended, he entrusted his spirit to God when it was necessary for him to be separated from it. And we can do the same in death and in life. We can entrust our lives and the lives of our loved ones into his hands. And we know he'll accept what we entrust to him because through Jesus we have become children of our Heavenly Father as well. So does that take care of it? If we just say, I give my kids to God? Is it a done deal? Well, yes and no. Yes, God will watch over them. He will take care of them. He will offer his assistance to them, but only to the degree they are willing to accept it. Now, they can refuse his help and protection. He won't force himself on anyone. He won't violate anyone's free will. It'd be great if we could just go around giving people to God. And having them secured for all eternity. What an evangelistic program that would be. Wouldn't it be awesome just to be walk, walk through town? And, and at every door, knock and say, I give you to God. You're going to heaven. And go to the next one. Or to do that to our kids. Our grandkids. Or our parents. That would be amazing. But it doesn't work that way. You know, God will only receive those who want His care and protection. We can commend them to Him. But that comes with a willingness on their part to accept and to follow His directions. So it's not enough just to say, I give you to God. It's not enough just to commend our kids to God. We must also commend them to His Word. And that's exactly what Paul did. He commended them to God and to the Word of His grace. Paul didn't just say, I give you to God and walk off. He left something behind for them to follow. The Word of of God's grace. He left behind God's message to his people, what they needed to know if they were to be guided and protected by him. Likewise, likewise we, we can't adequately care for our children if we don't offer them guidance, if we don't communicate 
with them. You know, we could try to watch over our children silently and intercede only when we see something bad about to happen. We might even be able to pull them from the path of an oncoming car. But that wouldn't be the best possible care. It would be much better to offer them guidance, to teach them how to avoid dangerous situations and what to do if they find themselves in trouble. And that's what God has done. He's not just a silent observer hanging around in case we need him. He's not been silent but has spoken. He has told us what we need to know if we are to be guided and protected by him. Now, in Paul's day, that word of God's grace was still in the process of being written. So all that would have been available to the Ephesians would have been a few of Paul's letters and perhaps Matthew or Mark's gospel. Well, the entire revelation of God is now available to us. We can hold it in our hands. We can read it. So when we commend someone to God, we can also commend them. We can entrust them to his word. We can give them everything they need to stay in God's care. Now, obviously, we don't just hand them a book and say, read it. You know, I've heard this will give you what you need to know. No one would take that commendation seriously. So we've got to know the Word of God in order to effectively commend it to someone. In fact, we must teach them what it contains and teach them how to use it. You can't just give your kids a Bible the day they leave home and say, here, live by this book. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. They have to know the book. They have to know how to use the book if it's to help them through life, if it's to keep them within the will of God and under His care. This is critical. God can't care for your kids adequately if they don't know what He says in His Word and they follow it. It's essential that we commend them to the Word of His grace. Obviously, if we would commend others to His grace, we've got to know it intimately ourselves. We must study it. We must meditate upon it. We must follow it to be able to teach it. If we'll do that, we can entrust our loved ones to the guidance it contains. They will have been trained by it. They will know it. And they will have accepted it as authoritative in their life because they will have seen it's authoritative in our life. Okay? If our children, physical or spiritual, know and accept the Word of God, they will have what they need most. And we can be confident They'll have what they need for life, that they will have that which is able to build you up, Paul says. 
Now, it's not clear whether Paul is saying God is able to build us up or that His Word is able to build us up. In the original language, either understanding is possible, and in reality, both are true. You know, it's the person of God and the agency of His Word that builds us up and gives us what we need for life. But I do think Paul is primarily thinking of how God's Word is able to build us up in this context. And to build up can picture a couple things. It can picture a construction project or a bodybuilding program. And both are true. When concluding the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus spoke of building a house on His words. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. God has given us that which we are to build our house upon. It's God's word. His Word provides the only sure foundation upon which to build a life. And it's also that which builds up our spiritual body. It's the milk that nourishes us and causes growth. In 1 Peter 2.2, we're told, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If we feed on God's Word, it'll cause us to grow, to be built up. As Paul told Timothy, it will make us adequate, equipped for every good work. We can have confidence in God and His Word if we will commit ourselves and those we care about to Him. And if we will utilize His Word and follow the guidance He's given. You know, if we would have our kids equipped for life, we must make certain they know and accept God's Word. And we tend to worry a lot about their education and what kind of job they're going to have. We should be even more concerned that they know God's Word and what kind of life they're going to live. Is your children's Christian education an even higher priority than their school education? Do you make as concerted an effort to have them here as you do to have them there? I think we need to ask ourselves that. What is the most important piece of their education? That which is going to provide them with employment or that which is going to secure their eternal destiny in the presence of their Creator. We've got to think about that. That has to become the most important thing we do. That has to be our ultimate priority 
as parents. And, and that's what Dr. Dobson is going to call it in the final video we show next week. The ultimate priority. What's the most important thing we do for our children? What is the goal we have for them? We need, we need to think again. God's word alone can give them what they need for life and for eternity. Paul continues, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he reminded him that the sacred writings were able to give us the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith. In Christ Jesus, the sacred writings. Now, the Bible's not magic. It's not a religious icon that we carry or put in a place of honor, hoping it will get us to heaven. It's the source of wisdom that leads to salvation through Jesus. If we will study it and apply what it says to life, It will not only lead us to an abundant life here and now, it will also lead us and those who accept it when we share it with them to life eternal in the presence of God. For as Christ said, the gospel is proclaimed to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. It's through God's word that we learn how to receive an eternal inheritance. One we will share with all who are sanctified, who are holy, who are set apart for God's use. To be sanctified, that's a great word. It means to be made into a saint. That's what it means. So God's word not only has the power to make our children behave, and make them good, it has the power to do what? To make them into saints. Who wouldn't want that? Huh? Of course, we understand what a saint is. A saint is someone who is set apart from the world for God. So let's confidently commend our children, physical and spiritual, to God. And his word. And if we'll do that, we can rest confident that we've commended them to that which will see them through life and eternity if they will allow themselves to be given into his care, to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be made holy. If we can just teach our children that they're holy, they have been set apart. Of course, they won't understand that unless we have understood that we too are sanctified, 
holy and set apart. It won't ring true unless it's happened first to us. We must understand who we are. We must be in a relationship with our Creator. We must be committed to His Word so we know what He wants. Our top priority has to be living a life that brings Him honor and glory. Here, and in his presence forever and ever. We need to be holy if we'd have our kids to be holy. You know, I used to tell my kids whenever they'd say, well, so-and-so does this and -and so-and-so does that. Why can't we do that? I'd say, we're different. We're different. They got tired of hearing we're different. I probably should have said, no, you're holy. That's even better. That might, have, that might have sounded better. And it's a more honest evaluation. Tell your kids they're holy. Wow. And let your kids see that you too are holy. Wow. Take time to be holy. If we would be what God has called us to be, if we would raise our children to be what God desires them to be and what we desire them to be, we would take time 